always really excited when Richard comes, um, the man, the legend. <laughs> so maybe as Richard makes his way up, um, yeah, maybe you just stretch a hand out to Richard and um, we'll just pray for him um, as he comes and gets set up. So yeah, Father, we thank you um, for Richard, God. Um, God, I think he's one of these men, God, that your joy bubbles out of him, Father. <laughs> um, I think of that verse, God, where you said straight out of him was through streams of living water. So, Father, I thank you for this man, God, all that he carries, God, um, God, the years of experience he carries, Father. And I just pray, Spirit of God, you just come upon him now, anoint the words that he has to share, Father, even the things he thinks are just throwaway statements. Spirit of God, you just come and breathe on them and speak to every single person here, God. And we thank you for Richard. God, we honor this man, um, God, and we just give you thanks for him. In your name, Jesus. Well, that's fine. I don't. I don't need both hands. Just a second. I do need both hands. <laughs> it's great to be back here. I was saying just a couple of weeks ago to somebody I forget who it was at at the the mothership. In Antrim, <laughs> and I was just saying, man, I miss coming to Down Patrick because it's been a long time since I've been here, and I and I always thank you for the warm welcome, and it's so easy to minister and, and speak what the Lord has given you to a group of hungry people, and and, it, and it's quite easy too when you know they aren't going to stone you or throw you, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, Amen. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite subjects today. It, it is on the greatest story ever told, but, but it's a, a section of it. Um, I'm just going to start by reading um, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And this is the key one. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. Could we just say one more prayer? And dear Father, Almighty, Holy God, Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us.
today. And we, I just would pray that we would get, we, we talk about love, we, we talk about your love. I know when I first became a Christian, I, it's, I would say to people, you know, I know it in my head and I could quote the verses, but sometimes I don't always know it in my heart. And I would pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal your love to every person's heart here today and let them know how much you love them and what you desire for them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I teach some in Manchester at our theological college, Nazarene Theological College there through Manchester University. I, I teach Old Testament subjects. And in one of our classes, a student asked, asked a question which started a whole discussion, which I thought was quite interesting. It was, what event in the Bible do you think grieved the heart of God more than any other? It's a good question. These are the kind of questions you ask at a theological college. Probably the kind nobody's asking out on the street, you know, like, where did Adam get his belly button or something like that? <laughs> but, hey amen, I wasn't, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> But you probably heard the story. God created us all. And then he's going down the line saying, you're done. You're done. And that's where, amen. Forget that. <laughs> that was extra. So, so I, but I asked this student, well, what instance do you think in the Bible grieved the heart of God the most? Or when was he grieved the most? And the, and the student said, I think it was on the cross when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And she said, I think that's what grieved in the Bible, what grieved God the most. And I said, well, that's a good answer. Then the discussion continued. Then one of the other students says, said, I, I think it goes further back than that. You know, I believe what really grieved the heart of God was when he came to the Garden of Eden and no one was there to meet him. And Adam walked in through the garden and just said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And I said, yeah, that, that's a good answer when, when God was grieved. And then I, I said, um, anyone else have any idea of when God was probably grieved the most in the Bible? And someone said, I think it was in the other garden of Gethsemane when he had to say, Judas, are you going to betray me with a kiss? And I'm sure that, that hurt Jesus. He walked with him for three and a half years, pouring into his life, and he betrayed him. And then I said, these are all good answers, but here's another instance I think we could consider that really grieved the heart of God. And this was in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made human man, humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. You know, all of these instances, it, the Bible speaks of where, where God's heart was I don't know if I should theologically use the word hurt. That's why I'm using grieved. You know, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 
But in that discussion, I went home that night and I was wondering, well, that was a good discussion, but where has it taken us? You, you, you know, what, what do we really get from this? So during the next class, I asked the students if they saw a common thread running through all of these instances where God was grieved. Is there anything that, that attaches them together? Do these events have anything in common? And, and I, then I, I said, you know, maybe it's not, let, let's not find out what instance grieved God's heart the most, but maybe we need to change the question. What is it that grieves the heart of God? Why was his heart grieved in all these instances? Is there any connection between them? And, and we came to a point of an answer that, that I think was very good, and it was this. It was a broken relationship. That's what grieved the heart of God. All through each of these instances was, was a breaking of a love relationship. Judas, are you going to betray me with a, ki- with a, click, with a kiss? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Genesis 6, everyone except Noah turned from God. This is what grieved the heart of God, the God of love. It was a violation of love. Whenever there's a violation of love, it grieves the heart of God, whether it's between man and woman, husband and wife, child or whatever. Wherever the relationship is broken, and especially with God, that grieves the heart of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us is always moving us to to be the healer of relationships, not breaking them. And I wasn't going to go into this, and I won't, but I'm just saying when a church splits, for whatever reason, we got to ask the question. It's not so much who's right and wrong, but how is this going to grieve the heart of God? Where did the love go? You know, um, I, I worked for a while in a, <clears throat> excuse me, I worked for a while as a shipping clerk in, in a factory, and it was me and this other, other, other woman. And her husband would always come around lunchtime, and he would go up to her and he, he would call her slime. Has anybody here ever been called slime by their husband or wife? No. Well, well, it happened all the time. He just says, hello, slime, or talking to her. And I'd listen, but I didn't say anything at first because I thought it wasn't my place. But then it, it came, thank you. Then it came to the point to where after a few months, I just said to her, I, I said, I said, do you, does it ever bother you that your husband keeps calling you slime? And she said, no, not at all, because when he says slime, I hear sweetheart. <laughs> I just thought, man, you are the kind of woman every guy is looking for. You, you can get away with anything there. <laughs> but, but you know, um, so one day, one day I was with my wife in the car. We were waiting for someone to open up the church. And we were just sitting there and I reached over and touched her hand, you know, and, and I, I just said, said to her, you know, my little pigeon dropping. <laughs> <laughs> that was a non-starter. <laughs> and then I, I went on, let's hold hands and kiss and hug and pretend like we're still in love. 
Well, I was just joking, but, but, but guys, I have learned there are some words you don't even say in jest when it comes to the wooing process. So, so, so listen up and learn. <laughs> some people you can call slime and some you cannot, but each relationship is unique, isn't it? We see this when Jesus rose from the dead. I was often fascinated by this. He treated everyone differently. You know, Mary, don't touch me. Thomas, put your hand in my side and touch, touch my hands. On the road to Emmaus, they didn't even recognize him. You know, he was, he was replaced. I mean, he was reaching each one uniquely in the relationship he had with them. And it's the same way God deals with us in our relationship with him. In many ways, it's the same as everybody, but we're all unique. And there are unique things the way God relates with us as individuals. But God will do whatever it takes to keep the relationship alive. But sometimes we drift. And he is grieved when there is no longer a positive response when he looks for us in the garden or when he's praying in the garden. Have you ever wondered why God bothered to create us in the first place? It seems like he was just starting one big, big headache, wasn't it? I, I, I mean, you used to think some of the families back back decades ago, you know, would have like, I, I grew up in a neighborhood where most of the families had nine or ten children back in the States. I, I mean, it was hard going with just me and my brother. But you, could you imagine God creating billions of us? <laughs> Amen. I, I'm moving on here. He didn't create us for our scintillating conversation. That, that's for certain. And, but, but you know where we get a glimpse of why God created us? Because it's in the Bible. There are a few verses in the New Testament, it's worth looking up, where it talks about before the creation of the world. And it tells us what was going on in the heart and mind of God before He said, let there be light. You with me? And when you look at these verses, you begin to get a picture of what was going through the mind of God and why He created us and what this, this whole thing is about. In 1 Peter 1.20, I won't read the verse, I'll just tell you what it says, you know, but it'll be on, on the screen. But Jesus was chosen to be our Savior before the creation of the world. Well, immediately that tells us God knew that we were going to fall. And he knew what a problem we were going to be. And he was making a way to restore the relationship before he even said, let there be light. Number one, Titus chapter one, verse two. It says, God decided we would have the hope of eternal life before he created the world. So even before he created the world, he just didn't want us for a 70 or 100 years, but he wanted us in the relationship for eternity before he said, let there be light. In 2 Timothy 1.9, God gave us the grace, it says, to live a holy life through our salvation. Before the beginning of time, God, God called us to be compatible with Him. That there would be no, like we say, break down the walls, no barrier between us. That, that we would be on the same wavelength. God wanted that in the relationship before He created us. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 4 said, God would give us the grace to be holy and blameless before Him, before the creation of the world. Now, obviously, there was a conversation going on in heaven 
prior to God saying, let there be light. And that conversation centered on us with Him and His Son, Jesus Christ. Another thing we see from these verses is that God knew the moment He said, let there be light, this would not be an easy ride for Him, and especially in His relationship with humanity. And you think of a God of love who, who just wants this love relationship. It, it, it was probably a big decision to make. You think you have trouble keeping, keeping a relationship alive down here. Just read the Bible. God, God is, that's what the whole thing is about. Let, let's get this relationship going. God even finds it messy, difficult, and costly with, with His relationships. But He doesn't give up. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13.8, love never fails. So knowing that God understood all the sin, rebellion, grief, and pain, and the sacrifice even of His own Son, God knew, he knew how this creation thingy was going to play out and how it was going to grieve Him. Doesn't that make you wonder why He did it? I, th I think if most of us were in that, that position, we'd probably say, hmm, I think I'll give that a miss. Maybe I'll be creative some other way because this is just going to cause too much problems. You know, if I, that's what I would, if I was standing on the precipice of eternity with my finger on the ignition switch to start the universe, I think I would hesitate long and hard before I said, let there be light. You know, do you really want to go through with this? And you think of all the hate, all the abuse, all the wars, all the rebellion that is going to happen and all the mess he's going to see that, that a lot of it even shocks us. And God's watching it all the time from everybody every day. And he knew this would be it. And even that his son would die a gruesome death on the cross. You would think twice before you said, let there be light. So why did God do it? Why go through all this grief? I mean, who can understand the mind of God in this? As it says in Isaiah 55, 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then in Psalm 103, 10, it says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, as so far has He removed our transgressions from us. But there is one other verse before the creation of the world that gives us a clue of why God did it. For, he, for it says in um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Before the creation of the world, God, oh, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love. And that's the key. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His children, His sons through Jesus Christ. It's... And this is the point. It's the love relationship. 
that God wants with each one of us that he would eventually have with us that motivated him to say, let there be light and start this whole, whole ball rolling. It was for love. And God said to, him, to himself, in the end, it will be worth it. We may not think it would have been, but in the end, he said, it's going to be worth it because this is what I want. And the, the sacrifice will be worth it in the end. And this is the greatest story ever told. Love never fails. You know what else this all tells us? That we were in God's heart and mind before He created the world. Each one of us was in God's heart and mind before He created the world. And He loved us before, before anything existed. Just being in His mind. We are not an afterthought. We are not an accident he knew us by name. Psalm 139.16 You saw me before I was born. Every day my life was recorded in your book, God. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered because they started before creation. God created us to join Him in an eternal love relationship. But what grieves the heart of God is when this love relationship is violated. And that we would call sin. Because sin, every sin you think about it, is a violation against love. God is grieved with every broken relationship. And you, and you know, through all of this, I think we shouldn't think of salvation as a cold legal contract. Sometimes we do. Sometimes people present it that way. You know, we are justified by faith. And all this stuff is true. And, and it's almost like, um, you know the drill. Say the prayer. Ask God to forgive you. And then you got your ticket to heaven. I remember back in the 80s, they had this big evangelism sweep throughout the states. I don't know if you had it here. It's called Evangelism Explosion. You ever heard of it? And the main thrust of that was you go to talk to somebody, and I'm just breaking it down. It's there's a good place and there's a bad place. You don't want to go to the bad place, but you want to go to the good place, heaven and hell. And then they would say, say the prayer. And you will go, guaranteed, go to the good place, and you will miss the bad place. And a lot of people did, but you know, with that kind of motivation and that kind of prayer, I'm not saying God didn't work in that, but, but what I'm saying is, well, then I would think, I got my ticket, now I'll just go out and live any way I want. I don't need to pray or anything. I got my ticket to heaven, you know, my, my salvation will not be revoked, and that's it. And that's the motivation. I, I, I think it's wrong. I, I, th I think it's totally off the wall, really, you know. Because the main point, God is not wanting to populate heaven. He didn't create us to populate the good place. He created us for an eternal love relationship with Him. That is the goal. That is the motivation. That is the purpose. The good place and the bad place are irrelevant. I would often say, 
you know, I would rather be in hell if Jesus was there to be in, than to be in heaven and he wasn't there. It's not the place. It's the person. That's what makes heaven heaven. That's why you could have heaven on earth. That's why you could have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That, that's why you could have the peace that passes understanding. We got such a taste of heaven in the Holy Spirit here. It's not getting to the good place and avoiding the bad place. It's the eternal love re relationship. You know, re remember when Jesus met Peter after Jesus rose from the dead? And he asked him those three questions. He didn't ask him, will you serve me? Will you serve me, Peter? Will you serve me? He didn't ask that. He didn't ask, Peter, will you worship me? Will you, will you be a worship leader? Will you worship me? Jesus didn't ask him three times. Times, will you expand your fishing business and collect a lot of money for me and for my cause? <laughs> I shouldn't do this. He, 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 but, but he didn't say, Peter, will you become a prosperity preacher? And, 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 and get a jet and travel the world preaching my good news. <laughs> Dear Lord, wham, I'm waiting for the lightning. No. <laughs> but he didn't say any of those things. He got right to the point, to the heart of God, to what it's all about. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Of all the things he could have asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I'm sure Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, would at times maybe ask us the same question. This is one of the main things against the seven churches in Revelation. You lost your first love. You lost your fire. You know that this is it. Just a second. I need two hands there. Thank you. You know, it's like, I know you sinned, Richard. I know you messed up. But what I really want to know is, do you love me? It's the greatest and the first commandment all through the Bible. It's always number one priority. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross wasn't a last ditch attempt to get us to heaven or to save us from hell. The goal was the eternal love relationship with our Creator when we make the location the goal of salvation, we miss the whole point. Without the love relationship with God, even paradise becomes a hell. The Bible proves it. Just read the first three chapters of Genesis. It was great. It was a paradise. But as soon as that relationship was broken... They were hiding in fear. They were lying. They were accusing each other. It, it all broke down. It's the relationship that's heaven. And as God in the Bible would say, and, you know, I am not going to twist anybody's arm to get to heaven because that's not my goal. 
I'm wooing you with my love. We love him because he first loved us. And I'm wooing you with my love because I want you to want me as much as I want you. That's what I want. That, that's what God wants. That passion. You know, it's, 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 he doesn't care what location it is. Maybe that's not quite theological, but... And if you don't want that relationship, he would say, well, I made a place that is far from me as you can possibly go. I don't want you to go there. I'm wooing you and doing everything I can to show you my goodness and my love towards you. But if you don't want it, then I made a place that is far from me as you can possibly go, if you want that. Jeremiah 29.13 says it well. He says, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He, he's always drawn us, our heart, that I want you more than anything. Our motivation is love. The Apostle Paul, if you, if you read some of the verses in the New Testament uh, of how they describe the afterlife, it may surprise you, it's usually not, it doesn't have anything to do about the place. Um, consider this, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be what? To be absent from the body and be in heaven? Did he say that? Or did he say to be absent from the body and to be in the good place? No, he says, Paul says, he got right to the heart of it. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And he was always pointing the goal is the relationship. Paul was desiring that. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to heaven except through me. Did he say that? He, sa he, said, he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's always pointing towards the relationship, not the place. You know, I, I was in Manchester once when I was going to the university there. And I went with a, a fellow student into, into the city. I don't remember what he was looking for, but we went to this one, past this one store with big windows. And, and I said to him, you know, maybe what you're looking for is, for is in, in this store here. And he just looked in the window and noticed, I didn't notice it at first, he told me later, these lewd posters on the wall. And, and you know, he, he, he just said to me, you know, Richard, I, I don't think I'm going to go in there. And then I, I, I thought that was kind of strange. And I, I, I said, why don't you want to go in there? And he said, I don't want to go in there because Jesus is much too precious to me. And he told me later that would have been a temptation to him. Those things on the wall. But, but what was his motivation? It wasn't, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be punished or something or, or for, for the sin. But he said, I am not going to do it. He even put my place in, in to be tempted because I love Jesus too much. That's the motivation that will keep us on the path 
It's the love for God and knowing His love for us. Just a fear of hell will not do it. Dear Jesus Christ, and what's this love look like? Well, John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus said, keep my commands. Because if we keep his commands, we are loving each other. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. But that's, that's relationship. He's concerned about all our relationships. In John 13, 34, it says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we talk about our witness to the world and, and our, our witness to the community. And we go out and give the tracts and give the message. But, but through John chapter 13 and his prayer in John 17, he keeps saying these things like, Bring them together in unity, Lord, like we are in that kind of love. And then when people on the street see the love they have for each other, they will know and they will see, Jesus said, they will see what I am like. And we forgive each other. We bless each other. We guard our relationships. We don't take them lightly. We don't do anything thing to wreck them you know we we don't gossip we we pray good things over each other lay down our lives for each other and as we do it to each other we do it to God it's the relationships the broken ones grieve him let's not grieve the Holy Spirit we were created for an eternal love relationship we were in his heart and mind before the creation of the world. Just end with this. Love did not fail the Father. Love did not fail Jesus. And love will not fail us. This is why, why Jesus even said, love your enemies. Love never fails. Somewhere in there, it, it, God is working. And the greatest story that will ever be told throughout history and throughout eternity is a story about the eternal love relationship and everything God is doing to hold it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the life of God. It's not just the longevity. It's the life of God, which is like heaven to us. Amen. You hanging in there? Let's pray. Dear Father, Almighty God, You are good. You are love. You are our hope. You are our desire. And when you, when you said, Lord, seek my face, our heart says to you, your face, Lord, we will seek. 
We do not want to be cold in this love relationship. We don't want to lose it, Lord. We want to grow deeper and deeper. Continue, Lord, to break down the walls in our heart in your love. And just pray your blessing upon each one of us. And for your glory, Lord, and for your purpose, help us to fulfill all you called us to do in this life. And help us to be those that mend relationships and not break them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.